0: You're listening to the Corporate Quitter Podcast, where it's all about exploring possibilities for making an honest living outside of the traditional nine to five. and welcome to this episode of Corporate Quitter. I'm your host, Gabby Ainell, and today's guest I'm super excited about. Her name is Josephine Warner. She's a former corporate executive turned entrepreneur and business strategist. She helps corporate professionals break free from the corporate golden cage and build a successful business centered around their core values so they can create the life of their dreams. And Josephine, I think it's so relevant what you're doing now, given the state of the great resignation and people are looking for alternative work. So I'm so grateful that you can come on and share your story, right? Which I'm sure a lot of people want to hear what you've done in corporate and how that transitions or translates to what you do now. So thank you.
1: Thank you so much, Gabby, for having me on your show. I'm really, really, really excited to be here too.
0: Yeah, so can you give us a little backstory? I know you were in corporate for a really long time in banking, so I'm just, I want people to really know your full story and kind of how you got to where you're at now. Yeah, I was in corporate actually for almost 20
1: years. That's almost two decades. And for almost 20 years, or even longer, it probably started when I was around 14. I didn't even, you know, listen to this little voice that you have at like, one of your shoulders whispering, you know, you know, this is not really what you want. And I suppressed, I didn't listen to that voice. And it was part of wanting to be the good girl, doing the right things, climbing the corporate ladder. And it's also very flattering. You know, when you are in there, you get promoted and you get more responsibility. And then, of course, you have your salary, which is why I usually talk about the golden cage, which is all of these different bars that you have. And one of them is your salary. We also had our mortgage with the bank that I was working with. Another one is the social status that you have. And for me, it was also, what would my mom say, you know, if I quit my job? And I was even my mid-40s, I still thought about my mom, what she would say if I quit my job, you know? I was with the same bank for the last 10 years, and I changed internally five times, and I got better and better positions and more responsibility. It was always this kind of like a little bit like a honeymoon phase when you start a new position. But then very soon... It came back to haunt me that it's not really the positions themselves or or the bank itself. It was me. It's like when someone breaks up with you and they say like it's not you, it's me. But (laughs) it was that for me. The environment is not where I wanted to be either. But but not until I got a really, really, really scary wake-up call did I actually do something about it? Because I had tried for a couple of years before, I had tried to break out, I had tried to start businesses with friends of mine or colleagues of mine, I say, I failed in starting two and a half businesses, actually. One, we had the passion, but we didn't have the guts to even test the idea. Another one, I didn't have the passion and we were extremely skilled, but again, we didn't have the guts to test the idea. And the third and the half, we couldn't really agree on what it was that we wanted to do. We just knew we wanted to create something to create this freedom that you have as an entrepreneur. And then one day in August 2019, I got my scary wake-up call. And that was when we realized my father had been diagnosed with incurable cancer. And it's one of these bad cancers that gave him three more months to live. Three more months. And he was 70 at the time, so he was very young. And I was like, I mean, this could be me. This could be anyone. And I'm going to a work where I don't... I mean, I had stomach ache. I had sleepless nights. And for me, it was like, if I don't get out now it might be too late. If I don't get out now, I might become seriously ill. And I I usually say that I believe that until you get your wake-up call, it can be that someone passes away that is very close to you or that you're having a burnout or that you're getting fired. But until you have this wake-up call, it's very hard to dare to do something about it. And that is why I want to help people to start taking action before they get that wake-up call. Because you sense that it's something wrong. And I knew that there was something wrong, but I didn't have the guts to actually try to do something about it.
0: Yeah, I think part of it is intuition. Like that's that nudge of like, you need to do something else. But because we've been conditioned to think you have to think rationally about things, right? Like you had said, be the good girl, follow the rules. I was under the same kind of context with life. And until I started to actually be the rebel against society, if you will, my friends, the people who've done the things that the way they've done I could never really make true progress because I was always ignoring what my gut was telling me to do. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I'm so sorry to hear that your father, that was the wake-up call that you had because for a lot of people, it's better that, you know, in some cases, maybe they experience an injury or have something right. Getting fired is a lot less, I don't want to say traumatic, but it's right. It's difficult than losing a loved one.
1: I think we all... Things happen what must happen in some way. And we, my family, my mom and my sister and I, we actually say that we were a little bit lucky in a sense because it could have been much, much longer kind of period. Um, You don't want to see someone suffer for a longer period when you know that there is no other way out. It was also before COVID. So we could be there with him during his last two weeks. And he was a fantastic person right until the end. So I have really, really, really good memories. And it's not everyone who who has that. When someone gets so ill, they usually also tend to change their personality. We actually say we are lucky in the sense, you know, how it came to be. We got kind of like the best
0: part of that to be, yeah.
1: It's difficult to explain, but I guess you understand what I mean, yeah.
0: The silver lining is really what you're looking at, right? That f- glass half full instead of half empty mentality, which is very difficult When you're at a place of rock bottom or hitting those places of like, this is really uncomfortable or sad. So I applaud you for that because I don't think it takes a special person to be able to do that. But did you feel when that was happening, like a sense of not only physical loss of right, losing him, but also the loss of like, right, losing an identity that you had built up over 20 years? Because it's a big change. It's not like you were in corporate for five years and then you flip the script. I mean, 20 years is a long time. Definitely.
1: And I had to completely redefine that identity. It was also, how do I call myself? You know, you are no longer a banker or an auditor or or an accountant or whatever you've been, right? You have to re-identify. It also took me ages before I actually dared to post on LinkedIn because on LinkedIn was my old kind of network. But in order for me to become this new person or to set up my new business, I realized I have to become a public person, meaning I have to post on social media. At this time, I had no picture on LinkedIn. I had no profile picture. I never commented or liked or did anything. My Instagram profile was extremely private. I probably had like 50 followers or something like that with two pictures from 2013, one of my kids and one of where I crashed our car. And that was it. So I realized I need to do something really big here. I need to go out there. So I started with Instagram because that felt a little bit safer to me to redefine myself, to redefine the person that I wanted to be. And that takes, as you say, that takes a long while. I had been this other person, this, in many other people's eyes, a successful person, and now I had left that behind myself. But that was also one of the things that made me actually dare to leave because I was thinking I was a successful person in the corporate environment, in an environment where I didn't really want to be. Imagine how successful I can be when I'm doing something that I truly love doing. So that was actually gave me the motivation to dare take the leap.
0: I love that you said that, just like showed up and did the thing because a lot of people, they can get into their heads about like, well, why me, right? There are so many content creators in the world. There are so many other business strategists. There are so many other people who have LinkedIn profiles or all these things like, right, why me? And yet also you being, again, it's not like you're a couple of years out of college. Like you have to unravel a career that you've built up for yourself. How did you get over that imposter syndrome or give yourself the nudge in order to do that? Because it is a really, it's a scary thing, honestly. And it's daunting as fuck, (laughs) to put it lightly. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah, I totally agree. So
1: it's small steps. But what helps me is I educate myself. So what did I do? I signed up for an Instagram course because I didn't even know how to handle Instagram. I had no clue how to do, how to post and how to do all these things. So I started educating myself. And I also think when you talk about the imposter syndrome, I experienced the imposter syndrome many, many more times when I was in my corporate role, a role where I didn't feel comfortable. Like any time I remember, I started as an auditor and I remember once I was with a client, I was very young and I was with a client and my manager had sent me there because they were like, they are paying the bill. They need to see that we are there, you know? And I was like, okay, so what am I doing here? So I came alone to this client and I was like, hopefully, hopefully, hopefully no one talks to me or asks me what the heck I'm doing here because I don't know what I'm doing here. And if they ask me a question, I don't even know what to do. You know, this whole thing about they will discover any second now that I am the wrong person to be here. When you're doing something you love doing, I believe, I truly believe that the imposter syndrome kind of like, you don't feel that as often because You educate yourself. You love to learn new things. You love to talk to new people and learn new things. And you realize that everyone else is having this feeling of imposter syndrome every now and then anyways, right? So we're no different. It's just, as you say, dare to actually take the steps that needs to be taken. But it's also like one small step after the other. You don't need to make a huge leap. You don't need to run like one marathon. Start small. Start with a walk.
0: Yeah. It's sometimes easier said than done, right? Because you look at like, okay, I need to post to Instagram. But then when you think about it, you're like, okay, I need to come up with, you know, I need to take the picture, which in and of itself could be really difficult or come up with the branding or like come up with the angle or like what value am I providing? And it just becomes this super mega long list of all these action items that you need to take, which then you think, okay, it's just posting Instagram, but then it becomes 20 different steps and you're like, holy crap, now what?
1: Yeah, exactly. And that was when I said... I can't handle this on my own. I need someone to show me how to do this. So I bought a course, an online course. I still have that online course. I still go back in and learn about my brand, Soul Essence and stuff like that, that I feel. Because for me, it was also important to have a little bit like a thin red line that you know that you have, what is it that you're following. But if you would look at my Instagram profile, you see that it's changed. The very first thing that I posted was actually a quote. Because quotes are, they can be personal. But there, someone else actually said it. So you can post a quote and there are also people love quotes. But the thing when I posted it and I posted it in the afternoon or the evening, maybe even the worst thing you can do when you post something for the very first time, because I was so afraid that someone would see it, that someone would actually comment on it the whole night. I think the worst thing that happened was that my friends commented and kind of cheered me on. That was the worst thing that happened because no one else really saw it, right? So we put up these kind of big monsters and thoughts that we have in our heads of everything that can go wrong, when in reality, not much does go wrong. I mean, I'm not climbing the Mount Everest. I'm not going to fall down dead by doing the things that I do. I might get a hater. That's the worst thing that can happen currently, right? What do I do then? Delete and forget. That's it. Delete and forget.
0: Yeah. The cool thing is you have complete control over a lot of these things. So again, you can delete it or ignore it. Or what I've recently been doing is putting a spin on it of like, I will thank them actually. Like, thank you for in boosting my engagement because you took time out of your day to add to this conversation, whether it was positive or not. So you're helping push to the algorithm or to the masses just because you're an asshole. Like, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> So like, other than posting you know, to Instagram and all those things, because there's plenty of things you have to do in business to be successful, what are some of the growth strategies that you can offer to listeners? Like, What are some of your favorite tools, techniques that you've used or helped with other businesses? I actually have two things that I would say. Without these, you need to start with these. You need
1: to set the foundation. And one thing, and let's start with one thing that people are like, they're probably going to, oh my God, she doesn't need to talk about that. And that's the ideal client but I'm not talking about the ideal client or whether they have blonde hair or brown hair or or blue eyes or whether they live in Georgia or Atlanta, or wherever they might live. I'm talking about, I call it actually the ideal client um, bridge methodology, because we figure out where is she today? Where does she want to be? Like really, what what are her fears and challenges? And what where does she see herself? Where does she want to be? And right in the middle, that is where the offer is going to be, to take that person from the left-hand side to the right-hand side to where the person wants to be. That is where the offer is going to lie. However, you cannot do that if that is not what you want to do yourself. You have to look at yourself. It's like I said with these two-and-a-half businesses, which we started with. One was with passion. We could have done that really cool thing with that one, but we didn't have the guts, right? Or the other one where we didn't even have the passion. I couldn't have done that in a long term. If I don't like what I'm doing, I can't continue doing it. So you need to love what it is that you're doing, but you also need to love the clients, the people that you want to work with. So when I started out, I thought I wanted to help uh, corporate professionals, women who are kind of like a little bit where I was at the time, lost, didn't really know what they wanted to do. Turns out that those are not at all the people that I want to work with because I don't have the patience enough to be there for them during that period. My ideal clients are actually the ones who are one step ahead, who have already decided on what they want to do and they want to set up a business. There is therefore kind of a difference between my trigger clients, the people that I would love to help, but I don't have the patience for it, and my ideal clients, those that I love to work with. So you need to figure out, first of all, your ideal clients, where are they today? Where do they want to be? And the offer in between. And then also... What are your passions and who do you want to work with? Like go, think about yourself, set up a business that worked for you and that you want to run, not the other way around because you spend so much time in the business and you will also spend so much time with the clients and then it should be people that you want to work with.
0: I couldn't agree with that more because I think at this point, over the past few months, I was conducting like, I don't know, probably about a hundred or more free sessions to collect data of who it is that I will actually want to work with, which was the quickest way for me to specifically identify, you know, at what stage is the corporate quitter or the podcast person or whatever it is who I want to work with and in what capacity. So for you, how did you uncover that? Like, were you doing free sessions with people? Were you just creating content and seeing how people were reacting? Like, how did you come up with the trigger clients and then realizing, okay, this isn't it, but the ideal client is. Is. I I did surveys. I was doing free sessions. I still do free
1: sessions because it's still continuous learning. I learn more and more. It's not one person. It's like hundreds, thousands of people that make my ideal client. The timing when I discovered that this is not the person that I want to work with was I had actually held a five-day workshop, a five-day launch workshop where I poured my heart out. During these five days, my energy was so low. It was so hard to do these five days. And on the fifth day, I told the people who were there, who had also given their time, and I still gave them loads and loads of value. It just was my energy wasn't, you know, on top. So I told them, you know what? Oh, I, I will offer you a QA and a tomorrow. But you hear it on my voice. I wasn't really excited to do this Q&A. And they weren't excited to be there either. I think it was the day after I decided this is not working for me. This is not what I want to do. I took a huge step back. I actually took some time off and I said, I totally need to redefine my business idea, my business model, my ideal clients, and continued working on that. I'm still offering loads and loads of free information. I do connect calls with people just to get to know them. Where are they? Do we click? Do we connect in any way at all? I also do free consults for people who are considering working with me because I also decide who I want to work with. It's not one way, it's, it's two ways, right? So that is what I'm doing. When I teach people, I say we go deep into the ideal client, but we also go deep into what it is that you want to offer your service and also who you want to work with as a person. And we actually spend the first 11 weeks before we actually do any sales offerings or anything, just to go deep because you save that time in the end instead of doing like I had to do then spending like eight, 10 months trying to set up a business that you don't really love in the first place.
0: Yeah. It takes a lot of experimentation in order to get to that place of understanding. So I'm glad that you break it out into 11 weeks because a lot of people are looking for the get quick rich scheme, right? They hear all these people on the internet who are like, figure out your whole business in like two months. And it's like, maybe, but probably not. Now, I'm wondering, right, because you're doing all this experimentation, digging, you're prepping, you're planning... What can you do, or for someone who's listening, who are there in that beginning phases and they're just having the experimentation part come up, maybe they're having one-on-one calls to collect data. What about money? Because, right, a lot of people, the reason they started business is because they want autonomy in their schedule, but they want to make what they're worth. And sometimes the corporate job doesn't allow for that. So how can you still collect data and experiment without panicking about money or like charging accurately or appropriately or any of those things? Mm -hmm. usually because the thing that you're
1: offering you are a couple steps ahead of the people that you want to serve so you know things that they want to learn from you so the easiest way to actually gain a little bit of a buffer is to offer one-to-one coaching to these people where you are ahead of during that one-to-one first of all you will have a buffer you will learn so much about the clients that what they want and what they need and you will also learn so much about yourself too I think that is probably the easiest way to have a buffer. That doesn't mean that you have to continue doing that if, let's assume you want to, I don't know, set up an online course or a group coaching program or whatever, but it takes a while to build up that base and to build up that trust. Then I suggest try to get your first one-to-one clients. Then you have the buffer that you need.
0: Yeah. A lot easier said than done, but I would say that as the sales cycle goes online, it takes a really long time to gain trust from people and, right, continually doing these things, learning, as well as giving people the fuel to the fire of, like, referrals or just coming back for more help or things like that can really be a great place, you know, a year from now when you're, like, your schedule actually becomes full because you put in so much effort up front. Absolutely. And I think the whole, as you said before, oh, spend 60 days with me and you will
1: have, I don't know, a a 6k business or whatever, as you say, usually that is not the case. And the people who do 6k launches or whatever, they didn't just start yesterday. They started a while before. So they already have this whole kind of like no like and trust built up. And the sales process takes longer than expected. It takes much longer. I have a client who I had a consult with in February, I think it was in August. She can't, and I've, stayed in contact with her. She declined at the time and I wasn't ready either. So it was probably a good thing. We've stayed in contact. And I checked in with her every now and then, checked how she is, how her kids are, but never kind of pushed for the sales. Never did that. Just stayed in contact. She sent me a message then in August, say, Hey, Josephine, now I am ready. How can we work together? Because that is also kind of the sales cycle and that's the sales approach that I teach and that I live by is we create relationships, we create connections, we never push anyone, we never say, oh, you need to max out your credit card to come and join me. It has to be based on that they believe that I can help them to get to the other side of the bridge, that what I'm doing is what they need and they need to be ready to do that. Because you never know what's going on in a person's life.
0: Yeah, I can understand that too. There are plenty of people that I want to work with, but I know right now isn't the right time, but that doesn't mean I'm never going to reach out to them. It's just when I'm ready. And sometimes it's, you know, again, it's not personal. It's just, I don't want to say it's business, but it's right. It's dependent upon what's going on in our worlds. And also- like you had said, it takes time to build trust with someone. So if you just started in the online space, you don't have a, I don't want to say a following, but like you have no credibility. You don't have anything really to prove. Maybe you're just starting posting. You don't really have, you know, much that people can learn from, right? People like to binge content. They like to listen to episodes. They like to get as much free value from you as possible. If you don't have anything to show in any capacity, how can someone purchase from you? They don't know who you are. They don't know anything about you. But I do think that you
1: have things to show. I think that everyone has things to show, especially if you dare to take the step to start your online business. Once you've taken the step, you are still one, if not 10 steps ahead of all of these that are behind you who are thinking, I would love to start an online business. And then ask people, what is it that you want? What is it that you need? Don't try to set something up on your own. I did that. I did that mistake. I was like, oh, I need a course. So I started creating a course, I sat in, and I did loads and loads of PowerPoint presentations and I created and created and it took 10 months and I still haven't published that because I was so insecure and I was like, maybe they don't need this. Of course they didn't need that. I didn't ask anyone what they needed. So I had no clue what they needed. I joined another program where the program promise was that within 10 weeks you will have your online course. She totally delivered on that promise because within five weeks, five weeks, I had redesigned or designed my online course. I had gained kind of like test audience to test it on. And I had actually kicked it off, kicked it off everything within five weeks. So that is also a little bit like the time that you give it is the time that it will take. So for the online course that it took me 10 months to create, which I never, ever published compared to the one which I kicked off within five weeks. I promise you that the quality of the one that I kicked off within five weeks was much, much higher. Maybe not when it comes to kind of the presentations that I did, but of the content. And I truly delivered on what it was that people actually wanted because I had spoken to people. I had to dare talk to them, ask them, ask for connect calls. That is where I would start.
0: Yeah, I actually recently received that advice from someone and it made complete sense, right? Cause we spend so much time building up a product or an idea that we think people need, but it's not actually what they want. And so until you start asking people straight up, you have no idea. And so like, for example, I'm in the process of launching a podcasting course and right, I listed all these things and all this stuff. And then once I actually started to get inquiries from people and finding out, you know, I'm asking them like, what are your top concerns? What is getting you overwhelmed? What makes you feel uncomfortable with the idea? What is the thing that's getting you hung up with the idea. And then they literally are spitting out exactly what it is that I need to know and then putting that in the course. And then, right, it's, you're designing it based on the wants of people versus the ideas in your head that, you know, it's just for you. It's not for everyone else.
1: Exactly. And I actually received a survey earlier today and I was like, oh, this is, this is exactly what I'm teaching my clients. So I opened the survey and I started, and there were only two questions in there. And I was like, one of the questions was like, who my ideal client is, which I was like, hmm. That doesn't, you know, help me if they offer us. And the other question, I can't remember what the other question was, but they never asked me what my challenges are, why I am not doing what they are proposing that they will help me with. And that is where we need to start because if I would do those things already, I wouldn't need their offer, but they need to learn from me what it is, as you say, what are your challenges? What is it that holds you back from starting your podcast? Why aren't you doing that?
0: Yeah. And another thing that someone told me, which is super interesting for more of a, maybe a high ticket program or something like that, is that you actually pre-sell people on the idea, maybe do a lunch a month out from now. And then you ask them, like, what are the things that you want? They tell you exactly what you want and then build the course during, you know, the month or so until the launch. And then, right, you're giving them exactly what they want. I had another person that I worked with who did the same thing. She built out this whole course. And then when she actually did the survey, her clients wanted something completely different. So for example, like she thought they wanted mindset stuff, but then when she talked to them closer, they wanted, you know, how to choose healthy habits so that their mind is in a better place, so that their body's more optimized, so that they can make better decisions or whatever it was. So it's like they go hand in hand, but they are very different in the way that the language is, the phrasing, how you build out content, all of those things. So it's a pretty cool foolproof way to like not fuck up right not create a product and spend so much time doing something that isn't going to land right cuz really time is the most valuable asset
1: and another thing that you learn when you do a survey or when you talk to people or when you interview people is you learn the language that they are using and you can use that for it for posts or whatever And you speak their language and they will think, holy cow, Gabby knows exactly what I'm thinking. And you're like, yeah, of course I know because I'm using the words that you just told me. It makes it easier for you to come up with content actually to create too.
0: Yeah. I've tried to record almost all my conversations with people, even if it's like podcast prep calls, catching up with a friend, because once you go back and review, not only do you get a glimpse of like how you're showing up, right? Is it, are you coming off in scarcity? Is it excitement? Is it like, what are the things you need to learn from? But right again, you're using the same language that those people are talking to you with and just regurgitating it. Like you don't need to reinvent the wheel. Exactly. So cool. I'm wondering, you know, you went from corporate, then you started this business and all that stuff. So how do you plan and set goals as an entrepreneur? Because I remember very vividly in corporate, especially when you're interviewing for a new job, they're always like, What are your five year goals? And you're like, I don't know. I'm just trying to get the job. Like, I'm not even thinking that far out. <laughs> but I always
1: lied when I got that question because also for me it was like, and for you too, I guess to Gabby, be because I was like, I don't know, I don't even want to be here now. So why the heck should I know where I want to be in five years' time, right? Today, that's different. I know, and that was actually, I told a friend of mine a year ago, and I was like, this is actually the very first time that I know where I'm heading. Because before, I never knew that, because I didn't even want to be there in the first place, right? But yes, I think maybe a long-term like, vision is really important, but it doesn't have to be like, for me at least, it's extremely detailed. When I think in terms of revenue, when I think in terms of, I don't know, team or or what I want to do and number of clients, whatever. I break it down into smaller steps. Where do I want to be in May, for example, next year, five months from now or six months from now? And not think like, oh, where do I want to be in 12 months from now? Because that is too far for me now as a kind of fairly new business owner. I have no clue how my business is going to develop. It, It will just be, if I say, oh, in in 12 months from now, I want to have 1 million. I have no clue if that is even possible currently. I need to take it more or less like not month by month, but two months plus two months plus two months. That is currently how I plan. If you would have told me like two years ago, hey, you need to write down everything. I would have said, oh, that's so crappy. I don't need to write down anything, but that actually works. The positive manifestation by writing something down that truly works. When I quit my job, I took a course by Mel Robbins and I was like, I I cried when she showed up on video, you know, it was not even live. And I was like, oh my God, this feels so great. And she asked, what is it that makes your goal important to you? What is it that makes it important to you? And I was like, I hadn't really thought about that question before. What is it that makes my goal important to me? Well, for me at the time, it was so that I can work from anywhere in the whole world so that I can be with my mom when I need to be with my mom, or I can be in Switzerland or in Italy or wherever I want to work from. But it wasn't until then that I actually noted down. And then what I focused on was like 10 things that I want to experience, 10 things, just fun things. I called my fantastic list. And I noted down those things. I kind of put it away, but I, every now and then I looked at this list. And I kid you not, but within 12 months, all of these things on the list had either been fulfilled or they are kind of like in the process of being fulfilled. And I don't think that they would have been if I hadn't put them down on the writing. It's not just because I put them down, but they are then my focus. I focus on these things. They are important to me, and I know why they are important to me. So that is what I'm doing.
0: That's so fun, too, because you get to look back and you're, like, in awe or shock over the fact that you were able to make those things happen. Because I think a lot of times, especially in corporate, when we are really at the mercy of another company, right, someone else is kind of setting the stage for us, once you bet on yourself in business, you really have full reign in the way in which you can work and how you work and what you do. And so betting on yourself to begin with, right, actually taking the leap, but then writing it down and seeing a year later, like, oh, my God, I did all these things, Is just... It's such a nice, reassuring way of just showing like, oh, wow, I am capable, I am worthy, I can do these things. And then it allows you to build bigger dreams, right? I'm sure the dreams that you had a year ago are very different from the dreams that you plan to have next May, you know? It's really awesome that you have found something that works that's outside of the quote-unquote corporate five-year goal plan, you know, all that stuff when they talk about trajectory, But I also like when we had first spoken, you had said, you know, as an entrepreneur, you have permission to take things week by week because as you know, we don't know what's going to happen. Things change very quickly. We get new ideas. We have existing ideas that end up flopping. We work with people that we realize we don't want to work with. Like things change all the time. And so if you're rigid and stick with the five-year plan, you leave no fun space to try and do new things or try working with other people or in other capacities. Absolutely. And I also think it's,
1: I do celebrate the small things too. I could be, I could be even better, but you know, when you are in, and I was a project management and program management, and there you're kind of like running after the next milestone, next milestone, next milestone, and you never take the time to actually celebrate all of the stuff that you have accomplished already. I do that now. And I tell my team and my people that we need to celebrate the small, also the small steps, also the steps that feels as if they are taking us backwards because they actually help us to develop too. I stopped thinking in terms, or I probably never did think in terms of failure because (laughs) I don't really think like that. I think like, okay, next step, next step. Even when I'm lying down, I will find a way to crawl back up again because that is what takes us further and further and towards our goal.
0: What are some of the celebratory like practices or rituals you have in place that you know you swear by and love to do and have implemented in your regular schedule? So every Friday
1: I tell my community that I want them to share their wins with me. And it, it's so hard to get them to do that. And I think it's people like, oh no, I can't brag. Or maybe this is not big enough or whatever. You know, people will think that I'm bragging or I don't know, but I share them that I've done this or I've done that. I think that is really important. With my family, I love to celebrate with a good kind of cooked meal and, and, you know, a a glass of Prosecco or or a glass of great wine or whatever. And to say then not to, because we eat great food and we drink wine, but to say that today we are celebrating this, today we're celebrating that mom got a new client, today we're celebrating that my son got the highest score on, on a test or whatever. We You need to say what it is that you're celebrating to make it a little bit special, even though you drink wine on other days too, but you say today we're celebrating this. I think that is really important.
0: I love that. It's so simple, but like you had said, setting the intention, I think, brings more specialness, if you will, to a certain occasion that might be looked as like a basic or recurring thing.
1: Yeah, exactly, yeah.
0: So I'm wondering between the celebration, the planning, like all these things, right, taking action, is there a happy medium between planning, taking action and celebrating, right? Because I'm sure there's times where you plan too much or you take too much action that's in the wrong direction, or maybe you do a little bit too much celebrating and drinking too much wine and it doesn't actually get you where you need to go. I
1: just recently realized I love to plan. I love to do plans. But then I might not necessarily follow them to the point, right? But I have done the plans. I know the steps that I need to take. So I think that is probably, at least that is what works for me. I need to plan it out. I need to have some sort of kind of direction to know where I'm heading. But then I don't need to follow that, you know, to stick to it, like you said before, independently, because we need to be flexible. We need to be able to change depending on what happens. If something new comes up with some... Like for example, when Instagram and Facebook broke down, it didn't, I wasn't affected, but it could have been, if I would have had one of my launches then during that week, it would have been really, really difficult. So we need to be able to adjust really, really fast, right? So I think somewhere in between, but then also to make sure that you take breaks because only when you take breaks and when you take like real breaks is also when you fuel your mind with creativity and you can think in new parts compared to when you're like just putting your head down and just running in one direction because then it might be completely the wrong direction that you're running towards
0: do you have any clear indicators of what is the quote unquote right or wrong direction i know that's kind of like a hard term because it's specific to people but maybe something for the listeners to get a red flag of like okay this is this is happening or i'm having this feeling or this thing isn't working so it i now know it's the wrong direction and i need to switch gears
1: If you think about me developing a course for 10 months, that was definitely the wrong direction. Could I have found out about it? Yes, I could. If I would have hired a business mentor at the time, I didn't. I didn't have another person that wasn't the same kind of like, it doesn't have to be a business mentor, but a business buddy, someone that knows is going through exactly what you're going through. Someone who knows what you're dealing with. You need someone to kind of bounce ideas off and discuss ideas with. Because otherwise you will just be in your little bubble and you will run in the wrong direction. I now have, I have a business mentor. I have my business manager that I talk with. When I get wild ideas, we're talking it through. She's usually also on with these wild ideas, but then, we, you know, we take it back. and We say, okay, so what are the next steps? And I have people, other entrepreneurs that I discuss these things with. How do you do this? How did you deal with this? Especially also, you know, when might feel below or down, but also when we're feeling on top, we need to share this with someone, someone who understands what it feels to feel on top that you actually managed to close that deal. You managed to gain five new clients or whatever it might be. You need to be able to share that with someone who understands what it is that you're doing.
0: Was it really hard for you in the beginning to ask for help or like to actively seek out someone to work with? Yes. And I still struggle a little with not delegating per se, but to, I don't want to
1: overwhelm them or, you know, hand over too much work so that they get overloaded. So I need to be better at talking to my team and saying that they need to come to me saying, this is too much for me. So I definitely need to be, to be better at that. Yeah.
0: It's all a work in progress, right? I mean, it's your business, baby. So you have, like, you don't want it to be messed up. You want to keep your teeth really sunk deep into it because, right, this is the thing you put your blood, sweat, and tears in. But, right, it's good that you're empathetic and you're thinking of your team as well. So it goes both ways. So I think you got a double-edged sword there of not wanting to delegate, but also not, you know, wanting to delegate too much. But it's nice that you're considering that way because a lot of people who came from corporate, and I'm sure you've experienced this too, It's the opposite where they're just like, nope, I'm going to give you as much work as humanly possible until you literally have a breakdown or you quit. And you're like, oh, thanks. So I'm wondering really quick with, you know, the course that you were doing over 10 months. Now, part of it was right, maybe not knowing what it is you needed to do, not talking with someone with the idea through or things like that. Was part of the reason maybe it would have been a red flag because of the 10-month-long journey was because the excitement wasn't there, so it took really long time? Like, Because right, five weeks is a really aggressive plan to create a course. Not to say that it's not possible, right? Because you did it, and a lot of people do. But did you find that within the five-week period, you were just so much more excited than you were with the original idea that took 10 months? Well,
1: you know, the funny thing is the idea that I had when I created the course within the five weeks, the idea was actually the same. It was actually around mindset, finding what it is that is important to you, finding your purpose. It was more about this, the trigger client focus then. So yeah, maybe, but it probably was also because I hadn't really figured out what it is that I want to do. And that takes time and we need to let it take time too. What I'm doing today is I really love doing that and it really gives me joy, but That doesn't mean that I have to do this for the next 10 or or 20 years, right? The path will change. It will change in different directions. I think the 10 months time was probably because I didn't really know in which direction I want to go. I think that was probably more the red flag, if you want to put it like that. To learn what it is that what is it that you want to do? In which direction do you want to go? And then you start walking in that direction. And it's fine if you change direction again and again. It's like, you know, one of these big ships that you see on on the ocean and if they are like standing still in the harbor you can't move them in any direction but if they've started to go in one direction it's so much easier to change path but you can't do that if it's standing still in the harbor you need to start walking even if for me it was in the wrong direction and i walked in the wrong direction for quite a while until i realized that this is not working for me because it stole a lot of energy from me i also didn't really make much money i did make money but i didn't make much money because i wasn't excited about what I was doing either. So I think that goes a lot of hand in hand to figure out what is it that is truly important to you and what makes you tick and who do you want to work with? Because that is really important.
0: Yeah. All those things that you touched on are so vital, but I'm finding like the secret ingredient, if you will, of a successful business or a side hustle is the actual excitement piece. Like if you're actually genuinely excited, people pick up on that. And when they pick up on that, they're like, wow, like, I like you or I like that, or I want to get involved or I want to be on that show or whatever it is. Absolutely. And when you are excited or when you are like, you have passion for something, it's
1: so much easier to learn something new, even if you don't have all the skills when you start out, right? If you are excited about something. And I was excited because I really wanted to help these people. I really wanted to, but then it turns out that these were in the end, not the people that I wanted to work with. So it's, the excitement was there, but still not it's also kind of didn't fit with my personality with what it is that I want to teach with what it is that I want to share
0: yeah did it take a little while for you to redefine your personality right because when you first started this venture you were under the context of being the banker and then you had to redefine yourself which then changed your offer which then changed your whole business model and everything or I'm assuming I'm assuming that's the case of what happened
1: Yeah, it is. Well, the business model, how the business model works per se, but the offer is different, but the model is more or less the same, but the offer is different. Yeah.
0: So cool that you were able to pivot in so many different directions, right? Still be in motion, as you say, versus a ship stuck in the middle of the sea, not doing anything and yet still come out on top. Because I think a lot of people get nervous about quote unquote making mistakes, but then what they don't realize is that the mistake is actually being stagnant.
1: Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I read a quote the other day. I can't remember who it's from, but it's like the worst thing you can do is
0: nothing. Yeah. It's funny how like all these quotes that people have, like you think they're corny and like stupid and silly and they don't make sense And right. Wow, good for them. Like must be nice. And then once you become an entrepreneur, you're like, oh my God, it's so true. I've become that person.
1: But it is also, you know, the most kind of like engagement I get on my posts is actually quotes. Because I think they are personal in a sense, but still people can interpret them as they see fit, as it fits them.
0: I agree. Ah, entrepreneurship, so fun. (laughs) But really, so I love the conversation we had. I think there were so many great gold nuggets for people looking to transition into it or kind of see where they can go from a planning perspective. But one thing I like to do whenever I wrap up my shows is ask guests one final question, which is if you could give advice to your younger self, what would that be?
1: I think I would say to her, I would say, just try it. Just try it. Don't worry about what other people will think or say. Or I, I could tell I could tell my 45-year-old the same thing, you know, just try it.
0: What's the worst thing that can happen?
1: Not much, really.
0: I agree. A lot of what-ifs, but they never actually happen. So where can people find you, Josephine, if they want to connect or maybe get involved, work with you, anything like that?
1: Um, I am... The networking queen, I would say. So they can connect with me on LinkedIn if they want to. That's in and Warner, LinkedIn. Or Instagram It's also Justin Warner. I think those are kind of like the two easiest way to connect with me.
0: Okay, great. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I'm so grateful you came to share all your story and kind of all these things for my listeners. Like I said, I think they're going to get ad- a lot out of it. So thank you again.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Gabby, for having me. And I really, really, really look forward to hearing more about you and to hear more about your podcast, of course, because it's definitely a need out there.
0: Thanks for listening to the Corporate Quitter podcast. Visit corporatequitter.com for resources, extended content, and additional information about our guests. To connect with us, stay up to date on all things Corporate Quitter and to learn more about how you can leave the nine to five, follow us on Instagram and TikTok. And if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks, guys.